helping us to be here with you uh, again. I can say that we uh, we do love you already, and I'm, I'm not saying that for flattery. That That is the truth, and I don't know all of your names yet. I don't know that I'll ever get to know all your names. I don't think I know all the names of our own church members sometimes. Um, we'll have visitors come and all say, you're with Brother and Mrs., um, Brother and Mrs., yeah, that's right, they've only been members here for 22 years, so uh, yeah, we already love you, and thrilled to be with you, I'd love to see all these young people, I just think that's wonderful, and uh, met Brother Daniel's mom this evening, and so didn't know who she was, and so I, uh, when I first uh, saw her, she got decent eye contact with me, and I began to speak to her, and she started turning her head on me a little bit. And, and so I just moved around because I, I, I still wanted to talk to her. I didn't know it was Brother Daniel's mom. And so I moved around, and how are you this evening? And she just kept turning her head on me a little bit. And then uh, Brother Daniel came up, and I said, Brother Daniel, is this your mom? And uh, it is. And then she saw that as long as we were friends, then she started getting eye contact with me. And so as long as we were buddies, everything is okay. And uh, so I love you all. Just a joy to be with you. I hope that's the case with us, how you feel towards us. I'm buddies with your pastor, okay? So uh, I hope that's worth something. I really do. I hope that is worth, worth something. And uh, so, yeah, thank you all for letting us be here. First Kings is where we're going to be tonight. First Kings chapter 22. What a joy to have my family. And all of our grandchildren are here in the same place. And I just think that is wonderful. We, grandkids are great. And I love it. And got to eat at the Moses this afternoon. Y'all stop by there. That's a great place to go. I, I tell you, I I found out we were going to their house today, and, and I know Miss Jeannie, she is a great cook. I found that out at the camp meeting. I got all excited. I told her we'd be back every day we're here, and yeah, just such a wonderful host, and, and so yeah, what a treat, what a treat to, uh, to be here. I want to be a help to you tonight. I really do. I want to let you know that this is a message, I've preached this message one time. I preach this message at our church, and and you know as a guest speaker you have the the privilege of, of preaching uh, messages more than once if you feel like that's what God has put on your heart and and missionaries and evangelists have that privilege. Keep that in mind too when these people come by. Uh, being a pastor, he has to preach something new every week, and uh, you get a guest speaker come by. And they'll preach something. They've preached it 150 times, you know, so they ought to have all the kinks worked out of it by now. And then uh, everybody gets all excited. That's the greatest message I ever heard. Sometimes they'll say, I've never heard anything like that. But, oh, yeah, your preacher preached that two weeks ago. But, uh, you know, never heard anything like that. But uh, uh, this is a message I've preached once. I say that to you because I want you to know even in advance that this is not a message that I would preach out and around to try to um, try to correct or to counsel uh, you all, but this is a message that was born in my heart for our own people. 
So you're not going to hear anything tonight that I don't have the courage to preach at my own pulpit. But at the same time, I don't take this pulpit lightly. And I know that your pastor is my son, but uh, I feel like God's hand has been on him for years. Even in his teen years, there was just a spirit that he had uh, that I've just felt like God was going to use him in a, in a great way. And so I, I would never uh, want to abuse a pulpit, and, and especially to, to abuse the pulpit where my own son is the pastor. And, and so I want to be a help to you tonight. Uh, maybe as a little bit older of a pastor, I want to be a help. I'm far from a novice at this point, and, um, and so it's always my desire to, to be a help to those that I'm preaching, whether it's at, at the pulpit that God has given me the honor to, to shepherd or as a guest speaker. You know, as I look around, probably the Sunday night crowd, you are the at least somewhat, if not the most mature people in the church, spiritually thinking. Uh, spiritually speaking. So uh, you're, in many ways, the cream of the crop. And uh, you're great people. You have a great spirit. You have a great attitude. And uh, I could say that about our church. But in the last, um, oh, about the last two to three months, I've, I've watched some people's countenance change in our church. And I'm talking about key people. I'm talking about people that you would think that it's always going to be there till the day I die, until the day that they die. And, and I've watched a few people, I'm going to use the term, get wounded. To get wounded. I've watched key people begin to miss church and not know why they were missing church. And I'm not a pastor that I, I don't call everybody every week when they miss. I don't feel like I have to babysit our people. I'm glad I don't have to babysit our people. But, you know, God puts in the heart of a pastor from time to time and just reminds you, so-and-so hadn't been here in a few weeks and... And, and we had an individual that that happened to, and I gave him a call. And I said, Brother so-and-so, I've been missing you. I want to make sure you're okay. And in conversation, he said to me, Preacher, I just thought I'd let you know I got my feelings hurt. I said, oh, my word. Okay. I said, can we talk about it? And, and he said, well, yes, sir. And so... We worked through that situation. We had another individual in our church that I would, and I got to be careful because our people watch. And they've already had their service, and so some of our people may be watching right now. So I got to be careful that I don't say too much because they may start putting names together. 
and I wouldn't want to do that. I, this morning, I came down front. I said, oh, yeah, we're live streaming, aren't we? And yes. So I stood down here, and I waved. I said, is the camera up there? Yes. So I waved at the camera. I said, that's for some of our people because they'll be watching. And so, um, but I had a, a young man, and married young man, beautiful family. And um, a couple months ago, I, I said, how you doing? So that was odd. I thought maybe it's coincidence. I mean, we got good eye contact with each other. I just spoke to him. He didn't respond back. And so next service, I uh, made a point. I wanted to make sure and get to him. I said, hey, how are you doing tonight? He wouldn't say anything. I said, now, I know that's obvious. And... So I kept pushing him a little bit. And then I, a few services in, I said, so how are you doing tonight? And he looked me square in the eye and he said, fine. I have a shirt that says, it's fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. Something like that. I think Em or Leanna has one too. And so sometimes in holidays, we'll wear our shirt together. I'm fine, you know, everything's fine. And, and, and so you've heard everybody say through the years, when you say to your wife, hey, you're doing okay, and she says, fine, it's not fine, okay? <laughs> it's not fine. And so I, I knew with him it wasn't fine. I, um, now my heart's grieving because I don't know what's going on. But I know God, church member, it won't talk to me. I've got a church member that won't even acknowledge my expression of kindness and love to them. And it bothers me. I lose sleep over it. Literally, I lose sleep over it. Fret over it. And because every shepherd loves his sheep, and, and as your pastor does too. And so um, I caught him one service after about a month or so of this and him avoiding me like the plague and I went to him, and, and I said, hey, called him by name. I said, I have no idea what's going on in your heart. But I said, I know you can't talk to me. And I said, my heart is grieving. And I said, so can we talk? I said, because if I've done something that's offended you, I would like the opportunity. Don't miss what I'm saying right here. I said, if I've done something to offend you, I'd like to have the opportunity to at least tell you I'm sorry and to make things right. I said, so could we talk? He looked me square in the eye and says, no, it's not time. I think, you've got to be kidding me. We've gone two months like this? You won't talk to me? You won't look at me? You'll come sit in the same building? I asked God to put messages on my heart so I can preach to help our people. And I sit back, and as a pastor who loves these people, I'm watching somebody they can't even have eye contact with me. And now he doesn't even want to talk to me. My heart's grieved. My heart's grieved. Another young man, I had to make a decision in... It just had to make a decision as a pastor. I had to make a decision. 
and I did. I made the decision. I can't go into detail. And, but the decision I made wasn't satisfactory to everybody that was involved in the decision. And in doing so, another young couple got hurt. Now I'm pastoring a church that I've pastored for over 22 years that was founded, you know, I'm the only pastor our church has ever had. And I'm trying to pastor three of our couples. I'm going to go to the title of the message again, that are wounded. That are wounded. You know, I've seen through the years that some of the best people in church can get wounded. Some of the best people in church can get wounded. It's happened in our church. And, I, I mean, we're talking fresh right now. We're not, I'm not using an illustration where I can say, oh, you know, 15 years ago. We're talking 15 days ago. We're, we're talking, as a matter of fact, I have just, in all three situations, I have prayed for them so much. I prayed that God would speak to their heart. I prayed that God would let me say the exact things at the exact time that they need to be spoken. And I feel so lonely. My, I, I appreciate my family, my Son-in-law is very observant, and he works uh, with law enforcement. And if you rob him, he'll be able to describe every hair on your head and get it almost 100% correct. And his son is the same way. I don't know how many times through the years Nick has, he said to me, uh, Dad, you, uh, Mom got her hair done. Or were you aware of it? You know, he'll text me or something. <laughs> to help keep me out of trouble. Oh, well, yeah, I better tell her her hair looks nice. I know where he's headed with that. <laughs> and so uh, just very obs observant. We were in a meeting just last week, couples retreat, and one of these, actually um, two of these couples were in the room. And Nick texted me, you okay? And You'll know what I text back? Sure. Sure. But the truth is, no, I'm not okay. Because it's difficult be, to be the pastor and to be in the room with somebody that you know is wounded. So, no, I'm not okay. And, and so, um, I want to help you tonight. Because the truth is, do I dare say it, but you have a new pastor? And I could just see anybody who gets a new pastor that the opportunities for somebody to get wounded are pretty high. And so if you aren't careful, some of the best people that you've ever known in this church can get wounded. And because it happens to the best churches and to the experienced pastors. And, 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 and so it's something that we all have 
to deal with in being wounded. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture tonight. I, I, I really do want to be a help, and, 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 and hopefully it'll be a... Uh, I want to preach at you, but, I, but at the same time, you're going to see through the scripture, as I said this morning, I really do my best to follow what God wants me to preach. And there's a part of me that feels like as God gives me opportunity, a message like this, it, it wouldn't be a bad idea if every church in America, I'm not saying I should preach it, but this concept needs to be preached. Because God wants our churches to be healthy. And, and, but yet, if you aren't careful, if you get to the point where you're wounded, that will just open the door for the devil to have heyday in your midst. And he wouldn't like anything any better than to create havoc in any church, your church, our church, anybody's church, that can uh, use somebody who is wounded. If you're wounded tonight, the truth is you know it. By the way, all three cases, I, I can stand here tonight and say, I'm thankful that in one situation it was just, I look at it as, and, and again, I, got, I, can't, I can't give too many illustrations. If y'all weren't live streaming, I'd tell you names and everything, okay? But uh, since, since we're live streaming, I can't do that. <laughs> but in all cases, I, I'm glad for the individuals that said, preacher, let's talk. One that in my heart was one of them was just a situation, and I'd said, "Oh my word, I had no idea." And I said, "Would you please forgive me?" And we made it right. We made it right, and he got right, and I'm thankful for that. The other one is coming around because they see that you know God does give preachers wisdom, and 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 the other one is coming around, and they're okay. And and the the third one that I'm talking about isn't it something We're at the couples retreat that um, one night we ended up talking. And you know what I assumed in my heart as a pastor? I found out was totally opposite than what I'd assumed. Sometimes we as preachers assume in the wrong way. And I just, I just, you know what I realized? It wasn't a single thing that I had done to him. It wasn't a decision that I'd made in the church. It wasn't anything like that. He was dealing with some things personally in his own life. And when I heard all the things that he was dealing with, I just loved on him and told him, you know, I'm glad I know all of this. And they all were in church on Sunday and doing well. And so I want to say to you tonight, let's say you sit here and maybe you know in your heart you've been wounded. You know what I want for you? I want the same outcome that three individuals in our church have experienced. They were wounded. I knew they were wounded. They knew they were wounded but they made it through being wounded. You can make it through also. This could be a preventative type message, Brother Josh. This could be a message to say, look, y'all, you got a new preacher. You're in the middle of transition. You got all of these things going on. Eight or nine months isn't much at all. I remember when Brother Crockett took our church when I was a youth pastor. We'd had a pastor for over 25, 30 years, Brother Don Camp, and, and Brother Lee Crockett came in, became our new preacher. He was an evangelist. He had never pastored before. He didn't even know how to have a business meeting. He didn't understand that we did things according to Robert's Rules of Order, and he was voting on things in wrong order, wrong time, doing all of this kind of stuff. But you know what? We got to the point. We 
didn't care because we realized, well, he'll learn. He'll get to the point. He'll understand Robert's rules of orders, and we love him. He loves us, and we just kind of thought it was a little bit humorous that he did things out of order. Why not? Every so often a church needs, just needs to be shook up a little bit, I guess. And we just loved him. Everything was okay. And Brother Crockett stayed there for years and, and, and went to heaven. I think it was with, with the brain tumor, one of the best pastors that, that, that any church could ever have. But boy, in the beginning, it sure was craziness. And some of you might be thinking the same thing. It's been eight months of craziness. Not the way it used to be. Probably not. Okay, probably not. I'm telling you that I'm just getting to learn your previous pastor. I say learn, getting to know your previous pastor, and I love him, but I'm telling you, Brother Wood, he is one unique individual. Now, I say that, I'd say it if he was sitting in the auditorium and he would laugh about it because we're friends enough that I could say that and get by with it, and I love him. I just fell in love with him. But, Joshua Lovins is not Tony Wood, and Tony Wood is not Joshua Lovins. And, and so, um, wounded, wounded. Wow, so I've taken an hour and a half of my introduction, and, uh, and so uh, let's pray and we'll get to the scripture. Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight. I want to be a help to these dear people, and I pray that you'll use the remainder of the message to be a help to us and a blessing, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. First Kings chapter 22 and verse 34. It says in verse 34, And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. That king that we're talking about is King Ahab. If you know, if you have a, a good mind, then, then you know who Ahab's wife was, which was Jezebel. What a couple. So you got Ahab and Jezebel. This is the king that we are talking about. There's another king that we will read about here tonight who is the king of the southern kingdom, Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah. And, but we see here, we're reading the latter part of the life of Ahab. And so Ahab dies just in a few verses. And so Ahab goes to battle against Syria, and, and in doing so, he and Jehoshaphat, the two kings, are going against Syria because Ahab came up with the bright idea that we're living in peace right now. I think we can take Syria. Syria belongs to us anyway, and so let's go take them. And so Jehoshaphat said, well, our hearts are basically knit together, so uh, we'll go and be with you. And, and so they go to battle. And so as they go to battle, this is the story that we're in uh, now. And so Ahab gets killed in this battle. And so uh, I, I want us now that we know where we're headed to look at some of the, uh, the background uh, to this battle. So look, if he would, beginning in verse 1, uh, 1 Kings 22 and verse 1. And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. 
And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people is thy people, my horses is thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, of the word of the Lord today. So Jehoshaphat had enough to him that he said to Ahab, Before we go to battle, we better go talk to God about this. And so, uh, so Ahab says, Well, okay, that's fine. Let's talk to the Lord about it. And, and so he got the, the king of Israel in verse 6, gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, and the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Okay, I'm going to back up a little bit. So, so they go, and, and Ahab calls all the prophets, about 400 of them, and says, Shall I go to battle? Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead? And they all said, Yes, yes, go, go. Anything you say, we want you to do it. Well, Jehoshaphat says, Hang on a second. I think we got a bunch of prophets just saying what they think you want to hear. And its message is like this, as I preach this morning. So once again, I would rather come in here tonight and say, you can make it, I'm for you, God's for you, everybody's for you. But God kept putting this on my heart. And I'm going to tell you what we need across this country. We need some men of God that are willing to stand up and still preach, thus saith the Lord. And if it hurts somebody's feelings, so be it. And look, I'm old enough now to where when I was younger, I used to preach hard, and boy, I, I would say, uh, you know, you like that, that door swings two ways. And I found out at a young age that some people took me up on that door swinging two ways. And I got to realize it's not, not a whole lot of fun when people go out. And it didn't take me long to realize I need to quit saying that door swings two ways because I don't want to be uh, entertaining the thought for anybody to be heading out another direction. So I got to the point, I said, you know what? That door only swings one way, and that door swings in. And, and, and so uh, I'm not one of those that says, well, I'm going to preach what God wants me to preach. You don't like it. You can just lump it. You know, I, I started learning that when people start to get thumped and lumped, you know, they, they get wounded. The outcome is not what you like. And so I said, you know what? It's a whole lot better for everybody to start working things out. And, and so I don't want to be the kind of preacher that just stands up and says what everybody wants me to say. Because from time to time to time, God may put something on a preacher's heart. We ask to stand up and preach, thus saith the Lord, without a fear and without a compromise in order to preach what God wants him to preach. And so Jehoshaphat had enough to him to say, eh, Ahab, I don't like this. You got 400 guys that said go to war. Is there not anybody else? So he goes on, look at verse 7, and Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla. And so Ahab says, Yeah, there is one. He'll just tell you the way it is. But look at what Ahab said about him. Yeah, there is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla 
whom we may inquire of the Lord. Look at the next few words. But I hate him. <laughs> I don't like him. So, for, uh, and he goes on and says, For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Ah, oh, don't, don't be saying that, king. Let, let not the king say so. And so Ahab says, Yeah, there is one. But he's a man of God and he's a prophet. And he's saying, and he preaches, Thus saith the Lord. I don't like what he says. Man, through the years I've seen that there's some people, they just don't like what the preacher says. I talked about it this morning. I've watched people turn around in their pews and cross their arms. I've watched people make faces at me. I've watched people head out the back doors when you don't like it. I've watched people uh, 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 get a burr in their saddle. And, and boy, uh, before you know it, their countenance changes and you can just see it and you know it. And the truth is, some people don't like, oh, I'll use the term, some people don't like the preacher meddling. That's what we call it. It's okay, but we can amen as long as it's somebody else's kid. We can amen as long as it's dealing with somebody else. But when it comes to us dealing with our sin, now it's a different story. And all of a sudden, now we get mad at the messenger instead of the message. And it may be that God might have a truth for you, but we make it a personality conflict way too much and we get to blame it on how the preacher said it and when he said it and he shouldn't have said it with such a loud voice and he should have done it with a little bit more compassion. Why don't you quit making it a personality conflict and realize that it might be a message that God wants for you? So, Jehoshaphat says, there is a man of God. I think we better listen to what he says. And Ahab says, all right, go get him. So verse 13, they send to get him. Chapter 22, and the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, behold, now the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them. And speak that which is good. So the servant goes to get Micaiah, and he says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to say to Ahab the same thing that all the other 400 said. So that, that's how this is going to work. Don't you love a preacher when somebody comes to you and says, hey, preacher, just thought I'd let you know this is how this is going to work. It's like, oh, really? So, you know, so who died made you God? This is how it's going to work. So you just... You come and you say this and everything will be okay. And so, verse 14, And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Amen. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it unto the hand of the king. He said, Yeah, go ahead. Go to war. Well, the king said unto him in verse 16, how many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? So even Ahab said, look, you're not, I can see it in you. I can see it in your eyes. I can hear it in your voice. You're not telling me what God said. You're humoring me now. And so, um, and so he says, so he answered him. 
And Micaiah says, and he said, I, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat. So in other words, uh, Micaiah said, okay, you want the truth? You go against uh, uh, Ramoth Gilead, it's going to cost you. You don't need to be going. Well, this is his response. Look at Ahab's response in verse 18. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? He said, see, I told you. I don't know why we called Micaiah to begin with. I knew he wasn't going to say anything. Boy, I hope, preacher, just because the way I'm even preaching tonight that somebody says, why, why did Brother Josh ask his dad to come anyway? He didn't ask me about that. Where does he think he's coming from? So, um, wow. So Ahab says, see, I told you, Jehoshaphat, we shouldn't have called him. Man of God said we shouldn't go now. So they go to war. And when they go to war, and look at verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, look at this skunk, look at him. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle, but put thou on thy robes, and the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. I mean, Ahab is such a good friend that he says to Jehoshaphat, we're in this together, but I want you to wear the king's royal apparel, but I'm not going to. I'm going undercover. But you dress like a king. I'm not going into this battle dressed like a king. And so the king of Syria commanded his 30 and two captains, so they go to war, and verse 31, but the king of Syria commanded his 30 and two captains that had rule over his chariots, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. They, so they said, you're going after the main guy. And, and so it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, surely it's the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. Jehoshaphat saying, woo, hey, hey, oh, wait, no, wait, hey, I'm the king of Judah. I'm not Ahab. Hey, I'm the king, I'm the king. And so they, they recognized the, the men of Syria and Ramoth Gilead uh, so Jehoshaphat's crying out for his life. And, and so it came to pass in verse 33, when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now the key verse again. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture. You know what that word venture means? At a chance. Some of you guys are bow hunters. And... Um, one reason why I always like bow hunting, you know, you gun hunt, anybody can pull the trigger. But bow hunting, usually you've got to be within a certain yardage. You know what you're shooting at. You've got to practice. And most guys, if they haven't practiced, they aren't going to hit what they're shooting at anyway. So I felt a whole lot safer in the woods during bow hunting. But I, I, I know because I've I have shot traditionally, I shoot with sights and all of that, pendulum sights, all of that kind of stuff. And so, uh, but we, your pastor and I, we have spent a lot of hours out shooting our bow together when he was younger. And I know this, you're never going to kill a deer by just flinging arrows. Sitting in a tree stand one day and here comes a guy. He's walking through and looking on the ground and, and he's looking up into the trees, and he's coming right for me. He's looking around, he stops, 
I'm thinking, man, I've been here for I don't know how long. I haven't seen a deer come through here. I don't know what he's looking for. And finally, he walks close to my tree, and I, he looks, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't see you up there. I said, well, that's obvious. And I, and I already knew the answer to my question. I said, you hit a deer? You think it comes through here? No. No. He said, I just flung an arrow up in the air, and I think it landed over here somewhere. I'm looking for it. I thought you got to be kidding me. Look, a guy just flinging arrows isn't going to hit anything. But that's what happened here. We have a guy that took a chance, just flung an arrow, and it hits Ahab. And get this, it hits between the joists of the armor. What are the chances of all of that happening? And so... Ahab is wounded. And so now that he's wounded in verse 35, and the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot. Here's when you can tell when somebody's been wounded. First of all, somebody that's been wounded has to be propped up. Somebody's wounded has to be propped up. He's wounded, he's getting ready to die, and he said, the only way I can stay in battle is if you prop me up. You know what? It's not the preacher's responsibility to run around propping everybody up. I've watched people get wounded. You've got to treat them with kid gloves. You've got to be so careful. You have the fear if you don't say everything exactly right, if you don't do everything exactly right, you just don't know what the outcome's going to be, and you just have to, I mean, it's just, it, I'm telling you, it's difficult to pastor people that you've got to prop up. And if you aren't careful, you'll end up getting wounded and you'll be one of those people that's got to be propped up. And, 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 so, uh, and so he had to be propped up and the battle increased and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even and the blood ran out of the wound in the midst of, uh, of the chariot. And, and so uh, not only did they have to be propped up, but in verse 34 we see that the king of Israel said to, to uh, the, the young man was driving the chariot, he said, you need to get me out of here. Not only do they have to be propped up, but they end up being pulled out of the battle. I've watched people that have gotten wounded, and one of the first things they do, they start quitting everything that they're involved in. Are y'all with me? You're very careful when you get to the point you no longer want to sing in the choir, you no longer want to sing specials, you no longer want to go visit the bus route, you no longer want to uh, work in the nursery. You no longer want to help Miss Jeannie with the food. You no longer want to greet people. You no longer want to be a part in the church. That's probably because you're, you're to the point that everybody's got to prop you up and you've gotten to the point that you're ready to pull yourself out of the battle and everything around you. The reason why you feel that way is because you've gotten wounded. The man that told me that he'd been missing church services, he said, preacher, he said, I don't know where else to go. And he said, but I got my feelings hurt. I got wounded, and I quit coming to church. Boy, when you get to the point that you want to quit coming to church, you can mark it down, you've been wounded. Because you're ready to pull out of everything. They got to be propped up, they're pulled out, and the bad thing is, that young man had to take Ahab out of the battle. And I hate this, but I've seen it happen way too many times through the years that I've watched when somebody pulls themselves out of the battle, usually they take somebody else with them. 
They're never brave enough to leave on their own. I always want to get a crowd. I always want to get somebody else so they can justify their own wrongdoing. They pull out and they pull somebody else out with them. He said, you got to take me out of the battle. Propped up and pulled out and pulls others out. And we don't even have time to get into it because I've, I've taken too long now. And, and, and so... Uh, but part of the reason why, why people have to be propped up and pulled out of the battle and they pull others out of the battle is because they got a little personal agenda that they're dealing with. We go back one chapter. Matter of fact, oh boy, go back to chapter 21 and, and look at verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Syria. This is the guy we're talking about. Nahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard that I may have it uh, for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I'll give thee uh, for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good with thee, I'll give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, uh, Ahab, the Lord forbid it that I should give the inheritance of my father's unto thee. So Naboth says, That's my vineyard. That's been in the family all these years. I want to give it to you. I don't want to lose it. And so... Ahab came to the house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I'll not give thee the inheritance of my father's. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned his, his, away his face and would eat no bread. Jezebel, the wife, she comes to him and says, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite and said unto him, give me the vineyard for money or else if it please thee, I'll give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, and, and I'll not give thee thy vineyard. And so he was in his bedroom laying down with his face turned to the wall, <laughs> pouting like a little bitty baby. Exactly what he's doing. I hate dealing with, I shouldn't say hate. It's difficult to deal with a pouting church member because they got their own agenda. He wouldn't give me the vineyard. The bad thing about all of this never fails. You get a pouting Christian, they usually have somebody that's more evil than they are that'll help them in their agenda. So Jezebel said, what's wrong with you? You're the king of Israel. If you were to just speak it, you could get the vineyard if you want. Jezebel, the evil wife, says, I'll take care of it, but watch this. Jezebel had him stoned, had Naboth stoned, then, and then said to Ahab, go get your vineyard. I took care of it for you. Kills him. And so, prophet came to Ahab and said, you mark it down. The dogs are going to lick your blood because of this kind of a decision. Now, I don't have time to preach all of that other than to say I've watched people through the years that have gotten wounded 
They've got wounded in a church and they had to be propped up and they pulled out of the battle and they pulled others out of the battle all because of some little personal agenda that they had going on and you need to be careful by allowing the devil to get you to the point of having some little personal agenda. I've watched people through the years get a little personal agenda going and before you know it, they get to running around everybody else and they want to get everybody else on their side to make the agenda bigger than just them and before you know it, you got your cliques and you got your problems that are going on and everybody getting together and trying to say, what do you think about that decision? What do you think about the preacher here? What do you think about this? What do you think about all these changes? What do you think about all of that? Hey, let me ask you a question. Since when did you become God of the church anyway? And since when do you think the church belongs to you? I'm gonna tell you what all of our agenda ought to be. Every one of us ought to have the agenda that the church belongs to the Lord. Not a single one of us in this building tonight there ought to be a diotrephes and take up precedence and think we ought to have a right to run the church and to be the boss and to have the preeminence in the church. I'm gonna tell you ought to have the preeminence in the church. Only God is the one that ought to have the preeminence in the church. I've said to a few men that decided they're gonna rise up and it never fails. It's usually a businessman somewhere along the way that's bossed everybody around in their business and then they come to church and they think they're gonna boss the preacher around. And I've said to some of those men through the years, let me remind you, even as the shepherd of this church, I'm not talking this church, I'm talking our church in Fort Wayne, but I've said to a few men, I'm not Lord over these people. I don't own them. I am their shepherd. I am their co-laborer. I love them. I take care of them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to do everything in my power to be the shepherd that God wants me to be. And I've had to say to a few young men, uh, to a few old men, that you can mark it down. If I understand that I don't own this church, let me remind you, sir, you don't own this church either. And if I don't think I own it, I'm not going to let you think that you own it. And I'm not going to give you the preeminence in the church to run around boss everybody because you think you ought to have preeminence in the church. Because of some little silly agenda. You gotta be careful, y'all. The devil knows how to take a little agenda and mushroom that thing to be something huge that it doesn't have to be. And so, as a pastor, there are times I'll talk to my wife and sometimes I think I probably shouldn't have done that. And, and, and so, um, you know what I'm glad of? I, I, I mean, she knows when my heart is aching. I don't know if I finished my thought, but earlier, I mean, when I talked about Nick, I mean, he's so observant. He knows when something's bothering me. You okay? Because he sensed that I wasn't okay. So, um, well, one, one man that the truth is, if I could tell you the whole illustration, as, as a pastor, I dropped the ball a little bit, to be honest with you. I dropped the ball a little bit. And, and I told him that. And I said, I, I want you to forgive me. I was neglectful, wasn't observant enough, and I, I should have done a better job. 
and I want you to forgive me. Next time he came to church, and he'd been missing, by the way, but he came to church. He's a man's man. He came to church, and I went to him and held my hand out. And you know what I loved about it? He wasn't even interested in taking my hand. Great old big guy towers over me. He just reached his arms out and took me in and pulled me in, and he said into my ear, Preacher, I love you. I said, Thank you, Brother So-and-so. I love you, too. It is so good to see you today. You know what I said to my wife? I said, Now, you know what I'm glad of? I'm glad that Brother So-and-so had enough manhood to him to come talk. And so now he sits in church, probably had a great day today. And because he was able to get over being wounded. And sometimes people get into these little agendas and they'll do nothing but add to the wounded spirit. Boy, ah, oh, I got to hurry, I got to hurry. Why did he get wounded? We're not going to go back through all the scripture because we've read a bunch of it. Why did he get wounded? Number one, he got wounded because he didn't listen to counsel. Young people, you'll do yourself a big favor to listen to your preacher. Your preacher is smarter than himself sometimes. And that's what I, well, here's what I mean by that. There have been times I've been counseling people when it's all said and done. I thought to myself, wow, I'm pretty smart. There are times that I'll say things and I think, I didn't even know I knew all of that. And I realize the truth is I don't. But it's a God that puts his hand on a man of God and says, I'm going to help you counsel your people. And there are times that God will give something special to your preacher and to the man of God that's beyond any of us, including the preacher, in order to make sure that the agenda of the things of the Lord is carried on. And so you got to listen to counsel. Ahab didn't. He left when he should have stayed. He should have stayed home, but he left. One of the worst things that you do is say, I got wounded. I don't like it. I, I, this and that and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm leaving. Look, I've watched way too many people through the years leave, and it always, almost always ends up being tragic when they leave. Almost always. And he should have stayed home instead of going out. He didn't listen to counsel. He left when he should have stayed. And then, don't miss this, he thought there was little chance of him getting hurt. He didn't listen. He left when he should have stayed and thought, ah, little chance that I'll ever get wounded. Little chance that I'll ever get discouraged and down. Little chance that I'll ever get mad. Little chance that I'll ever get angry. Little chance that I'll ever get into sin. I mean, what are the chances of that happening? Little chance. Yeah, you got some guy out there just flinging arrows. And by chance, by venture, 
it's over with. Every one of you that have been around for a long time, if I told you right now, I want you to make a list. And I want you to write on the list of the people that used to sit in this church, used to sing songs, used to be involved, used to just be such a vital part of this church, but somewhere along the way they got wounded. And the truth is your list will be a whole lot longer than you want it to be. I don't like doing these church directories. You know what I'm talking about? You take a picture of everybody. New members always want those. You got a picture of everybody, you know, so I can be acquainted with everybody in church? I hate to, I hate to do them. We've done a couple through the years, and here's the, the problem I have with them. You get a picture of everybody used to be in church, and three months later, it's obsolete. You look at them saying, where'd that person go? This one doesn't come here anymore. Evan doesn't come anymore. As a pastor, you look at your, your own uh, church directories, and you get discouraged. That one got wounded, left. This one got wounded, took those people with him. That one got wounded, this one got wounded. And boy, half your directory's gone. You thank God for all the other half that aren't even the directory anymore. They, they get angry because they aren't in the directory. That's an old directory. It's hard to do them. Bunch of craziness. And, and so, what are the chances? What are the chances? Look, y'all, I have too many preacher friends that are in heaven because they got away from God. What are the chances? Well, for them, the chance was pretty high. Some of them aren't in heaven. Some of them just are out of the ministry. Some of them don't have the marriage anymore. Some of them financially are just having a hard time making it. They had a church that loved them, cared for them, because they got wacko in their life spiritually. What are the chances? What are the chances? I'm telling you, the chances are way too high and a chance you don't want to take. If you aren't careful, you end up getting wounded, and the devil will jump all over that. And we didn't read all of the story because I've taken enough time and should have listened. He didn't do so. He left when he should have stayed. He thought there was little chance of getting hurt, and he lost his life as the dogs licked the blood as the prophet said it would happen. Let me beg you, church members. If something ever happens to you, especially in these beginning days, if something happens, don't allow yourself to get wounded. Because if you do, it could be a detriment to the whole spirit, to a good thing that you have going. I know this young man's heart. I know that he has no other desire than to please the Lord and to love you and to please you. And, and you know what he does? He overthinks things. And because he wants to do everything so right, so right. And so, by the way, that's been his heart since he was a kid. All four of my kids are, no, no, one of them's gone. Yeah, I mean, he's not gone, he's at home. Now, Joshua always was perfect. And then there's two sisters. 
they've all been good kids through the years. But I'm going to tell you that your preacher has a heart that is so big and so genuine and so real and wants nothing more than to God for God to use him and this family and this church. He is so excited about being here. I love hearing the good news and the good things that are happening. I love hearing all of that. Let me encourage you to don't let yourself get wounded. Because if you do, the outcome isn't very good. Being wounded. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you'll Help us to take a message like this and apply it to our life in a way that would be pleasing to you. We've had some people in our church recently that have gotten wounded and it grieves me. I'm glad I can preach this tonight with such a clean conscience of knowing that, at least for me, my heart, that all of these individuals that have gotten wounded, it seems that you're, you're repairing and building them. I'm so glad of that. It could happen to any of us. Preachers can get wounded. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll protect this preacher, you protect these dear people, and that you'll help them to be everything that you would want them to be so they can keep being such a strong lighthouse in this community. Help us to do everything we can to keep from being wounded. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.